The main idea behind this is that the same traditional politicians are really scared. They are scared because Peruvians want new politicians with new ideas and uh, they are trying to prevent any additional participation. That's Julio Guzman. He was a presidential hopeful in Peru in 2016. Since then, Peru already saw the winner of that election, Pedro Pablo Kuczynski, forced to resign due to corruption. And since this interview was conducted, Peruvian authorities arrested right-wing opposition leader Keiko Fujimori in a corruption probe. Investigators believe Fujimori may have received illicit contributions during her run for president in 2011. The funds are alleged to have come from Odebrecht, the Brazilian construction giant that's already admitted to bribing elected officials in over a dozen countries. Meanwhile, political up-and-comer Guzman was kept from running based on some questionable administrative technicalities. I'm Karen Zissas of ASCOA Online. My colleague Holly K. Sunilin sat down with Guzman in our New York City headquarters to talk about why corruption and a lack of vision are holding back his country. And he reveals his plans for the future. You're listening to Latin America in Focus. Latino America in Focus. America Latina in Focus. A podcast by America Society, Council of the Americas on politics, economics, and culture in the region. I'm Julio Guzman. I am from Peru. I am presidential candidate, president, and founder of the, of the Purple Party. And you're announcing for the first time your candidacy here on this podcast, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me here. Of course. Or I should say, is this the first time you've talked about your candidacy in English? Are we the first to break That's this? right. That's right. Because since the last elections, I've been uh, going to different universities across the globe, but not talking about my candidacy, but talking about the party ideology and the construction of our party. For those who aren't familiar with your political trajectory, let's talk a bit about your background. So you're from Lima, you studied at Georgetown and Oxford, you have a PhD in public policy, you worked at the Inter-American Development Bank for a decade, and then held a pair of positions in the Humala administration before announcing your candidacy for president of Peru in 2016. So what compelled you to make a run for the presidency in that year? Well, when you come from the academia or the public policy design area, you believe, you start developing a bias, believing that countries, and particularly Peru, cannot develop, cannot progress, because there is no knowledge. People in the government, they don't know what to do. And secondly, because the country is poor and they don't have the resources to do it, particularly fiscal resources. When I uh, uh, got responsibilities at the government as a vice minister of industry and then secretary general at the office of the prime minister, I realized that there wasn't, there weren't those kinds of problems. The problem in Peru is corruption, first, and secondly, it's the lack of a vision for our country. In the next 30 or 40 years, there is no strategic planning. A strategic, the lack of, a strategic, of a strategic planning and the existence of corruption are the main obstacles to progress in Peru. So when I realized that, at the same time, I believe that there is hope. Because if good people are in the right place, many things could be done. That was the experience that uh, started me thinking about the possibility of getting into politics. Now, obviously, you're not president right now. Um, 
even though at one point you were looking like a very sure bet to make it into the runoff. So what happened in 2016? In 2016, there was a very simple uh, scenario. Uh, we were from, from nowhere. We were, I, became, I was a very unknown uh, personality in Peru. And in two months, and I climbed from 1% of the voting intention to more than 20% in voting intention. And the reason was that most Peruvians are really tired and frustrated about traditional politics. And also because the ideas that we uh, brought for Peru were very creative. So the problem is that most of our adversaries, they didn't know what to do with us. So they rely on a very basic rule, just exclude this guy, you know, uh, uh, relying on legal tricks. And that's exactly what they did in collusion to electoral authorities, the authorities interpret the law in a way that I could be excluded from the race. Yeah, I think the ruling was something over, it was essentially misfiled paperwork, and it came out later that opposition parties had advised the Electoral Commission on how to proceed and make this ruling even though other parties had done the same thing and hadn't been penalized. Correct. They were administrative issues in the registration of my candidacy, but first of all, there is no single norm or law in Peru that states that because an administrative problem, a candidate should be excluded. This is the first one. But the second one is exactly as you said, that three or four parties that were running, they committed exactly the same administrative mistakes, but they were allowed to run. So they were discriminatory, illegal, unconstitutional, but in spite of all of that, they exclude our candidacy. And why? Because we were a threat. Now we know that all these politicians that were involved in my exclusion are now involved in corruption. Now there is evidence, solid evidence, that all of them are involved in corruption. Now Peruvians know why they did that. And so now that was about two and a half years ago. Peru has five-year presidential terms, so we're about two and a half years from the next election. How has the situation changed? Well, very much, because first we need to make a decision on what to do. And uh, we decided to go to the, to the right way, but at the same time to the more difficult way, which is uh, developing an, an, a, a party, a national party, to invest on that for the whole five years without stopping. So the first uh, message is we, we never stopped. The next week after being excluded, we start working really hard in our party. And now we can, I, can, I can say uh, uh, with a lot of confidence that our party, the Purple Party, is the most organized party in Peru. We have across the nation, we have 11,000 members in our own party. Um, so we're very proud of that. And we're gonna keep in the next two years, uh, keeping building our party. This is very important because what happened with President Kuczynski was uh, he didn't have a party. He didn't have a congressman. He didn't have uh, uh, technical people to support him. So that's really important. But the second thing is not to, to be naive about what happened in 2016. In 2021, they are gonna try to do the same things on even worse. And now we are seeing that. For instance, there is a legislative initiative trying to prevent my candidacy because they are trying to state that you need three years at least in registering your political party in order to participate. So that's illegal. That's against the Constitution, but they are going to try to do it. They tried three times, 
and they were not allowed to do that because the public opinion was really uh, uh, upset but I'm sure they're going to try it again in the next two years. And that measure would specifically, the effect of it would be it would exclude you and the Purple Party, and it would also exclude Veronica Mendoza, who was third in the first round in 2016. Yes, they are really afraid about uh, political renovation, and that's why they are doing that. When some journalists ask me about, Julio Guzman, are you afraid of the things that they are doing? My response is, no, I'm not afraid. They are afraid. That's why they're doing that. But not only that, they have increased the requirements for political party inscriptions four times to prevent new participants in the system. But not only that, months ago, there was an initiative stating that only people who have lived at least 10 years in Peru in the last, you know, before the presidential elections can run. That's absolutely unconstitutional. Fortunately, the initiative was killed, but nobody knows if the next two months or next year something will happen. So the main idea behind this is that the same traditional politicians are really scared. They are scared because Peruvians want new politicians with new ideas, and uh, they are trying to prevent any additional participation. Yes, the threat of having to give up power or lose power will make people go to really extreme lengths. It's not only power, it's also money. And you know, politics in Peru is particularly about money. It's about corruption. The president can control many things related with the national budget. If they lose control over that, many of their illegal business are going to be broken. And that's the main fear. It's not power is what power can make you to control money. And the second reason why they are really scared is about Yale. Most of them are now involved in, in processes involving cor uh, corruption. If the next president is, something, is someone clean, with a clean political party, well, their processes will gonna keep going. And that's the second most, you know, the, the nightmare that they have. So they're going to try to do everything in order to prevent our participation in the race. But we are ready to fight, and we are ready to defend our right for political participation. And you're also, you're not the only one working to clean up the system right now. The current president, uh, Martin Vizcara, has proposed a referendum that would reform both the legislature, even creating a Senate, which Peru doesn't have at the moment, and the judiciary. What is your take on this referendum and the mood of the population right now? We have support President Vizcarra in, in, doing, in making these steps because they are really important. Uh, judiciary reform is crucial because of not only the evidence that we have uh, in recent months, but because if you don't have a judiciary that works, you know, anything could be uh, work in our country. So I think he's taking the good steps. I, uh, I believe that in the, the next months are going to be fundamental because the referendum is supposed to take place in December of this year and I desire the best for the president. I believe that if Peru is better, everyone is going to be better, which is contrary to the position of the opposition in Congress, that they won't want any progress. They are the first ones who are against the judiciary reform. Why? Because they are involved in all these corruption cases. 
Because, I mean, right now it's uh, Fuerza Popular, popular force, which controls the majority of Congress, and they are the opposition to both you, to Viscara, to PPK. Correct. But it, it's interesting that I feel like Viscara, I mean, he's this sort of accidental president. He took over when PPK resigned, and he seems to be uh, droughtly maneuvering this situation right now. I mean, it's um, his approval is up at about 60% right now, and it's risen lately with this referendum. And also, I mean, on the flip side of it, uh, two-thirds of Peruvians say that Congress is the most corrupt, and another 40% say the judiciary and the public ministry are. That's according to a datum poll from uh, early October. So it seems to, he seems to actually be hitting a very important moment. Yeah, there are two variables that affect that, what you have said. The first one is the the publishing of evidence about uh, corruption cases. First, the corruption that is coming from Brazil and Odebrecht that has involved most political parties in, in Peru. But the second one is the release of thousands of audios involving conversation be between judges, congressmen and businessmen, Peruvian businessmen, making deals and paying bribes. So what is different now from 10 years ago is that 10 years ago, most Peruvians believe that most politicians were corrupt. They believe, but they don't have no evidence. Now, we have the evidence. But the interesting thing, thing here is that in both cases, Odebrecht and, uh, and the audios, congressmen of Fuerza Popular and, and the, the majority in Congress are involved in those cases. So they want to prevent any reform, not only for the fact of obstructing the president's work, they want to block the reform because they are going to go to jail if they pass their reform. So it's much more complicated, it's much more dramatic in the situation. Mm -hmm. And that's why most Peruvians are supporting the president. And the popularity of the president jumped from 40 to 61% because they want the reform to pass. The second factor is uh, the good decision of the president to follow the mood of the population. And I believe that this is a big opportunity for him, but it's not going to be enough. Because what is going to happen if the reform passes? Well, the president needs to find another way to keep that popularity in 2019 and 2020. And the only way of doing that is to proposing more reforms, not related specifically, necessarily, with the judiciary, but related with other areas in which the mafia of Congress is already involved. For instance, education. Education reform is really hard to pass in Peru because there are lots of private interests that don't allow reform in universities, in schools. And who are the, who are the guys who are related to those mafias? Congressmen from the same party that represent the same interest. So our advice for President Vizcarra is to have the courage to go with that. And I publicly said, I publicly said, if Presidente Vizcarra continues to support these reforms, I will support him. And most Peruvians will. So that's the, that we are expecting from, from him after this uh, particular circumstance. Mm -hmm. It'll be very interesting to see how that goes. Um, now, it is impossible to talk about Peruvian politics and not talk about the Fujimori family. Just on October 3rd, a Supreme Court judge annulled a presidential pardon that Alberto Fujimori, the former authoritarian president who was in jail on human rights abuses and corruption charges, received on Christmas Eve last year. And there was a, he's 
very elderly, he has health problems, and was rushed in an ambulance to the hospital after the news broke. What was your reaction to hearing the news? My reaction for, was one of, uh, of satisfaction and relief. And why? Because you cannot negotiate human rights. The way in which uh, former, pre former dictator Fujimori was released from prison was illegal and violated the Constitution. The process in which the president could pardon someone, it's already stated by law. And those steps were not respected. If you want to give the pardon to someone who is extremely ill, where you need to prove that he's ill and he has a terminal uh, illness, well, that process was not, was not respected. But at the same time, there was a political exchange that result in the release of, uh, of the dictator Fujimori. Yes. So that's why the, the judiciary making this uh, decision is historic decision. And at the end, I, I, I hope that the victims of a human rights violation could be at least have a little bit peace. I know when we uh, were sharing this news in our team, my reaction, my first comment was, I was jealous that Peru can annul a presidential pardon. And then my colleague responded that you know, she was jealous that Peru convicts their presidents for corruption. So it's an interesting situation where on the one hand it's, it's so hard when, when you have your balance of powers, and, but on the other hand it's encouraging that these cases are moving forward. I totally agree with you. If sometimes we, we got to the very basic instinct to feel frustrated and feel not optimistic about what is going on. But if you see it on the other way, indeed this is a huge opportunity because this is a sending a signal not only to Peru but to the rest of the world that Peru will never allow this happen again. And that is an extremely potent message to everyone. But at the same time, it's a big opportunity because when you have um, corruption everywhere, but now you have the evidence and the whole population seeing that evidence, those are the perfect ingredients for reform. Ten years ago, as I, as I was telling you, the same level of corruption, but there was no evidence. So reform was more difficult. So now it's a very important opportunity. We need to be very optimistic because now is the, is the time in which we need to make those reforms and making those steps. So where do you see Peru in relation to the rest of Latin America? What role do you envision for the country on a regional level? The Purple Party not only wants a bright future for Peru, the Purple Party wants to send a message to the whole continent that Latin America needs to find a new way. In the 50s and in the 60s, there was a vision for Latin America. You can agree or disagree, but there was a vision. Now, we don't have a vision for the region. I have the privilege to travel to many countries in Latin America across my professional career and also as a politician. And when I talk to politicians in different countries, there is a lot of confusion. They don't know not only what our role is now in the world or, uh, order, but at the same time, that there is no a plan, there is no vision for the region. So our contribution for history is to try to discuss that vision and to give some ideas of the things that we can do for the world. I really believe that there, are, uh, there is hope 
for, for, for a new way of doing things. How to do that? One way to start this is to thinking in platforms like the Pacific Alliance. The Pacific Alliance could not only achieve uh, uh, economic purposes, but at the same time political ones. Our countries are so small for the giants in the world that if we get together, we can not only attract more investment, we can not only export more, but we can create new rules of engaging economically with other parts of the, of the world. For instance, Asia, that is going to be the next huge actor in the world. And the relationships between Asia and Latin America are going to increase in the next years. And uh, superpowers like Europe and the United States, they're not, I'm not sure that they are realizing that. They, I'm not sure that they are really aware of how important this could be. Asia is going to be more present in Latin America every single year. And that means that we need to, to find the rules in which we're going to negotiate that interaction, not only economically, but in all sorts of, of dimensions. So the Pacific Alliance could be this initial platform in which we can, we can start this discussion and this interaction with, with Asia. That sounds great. I think that's all the questions I had for today. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we close? Well, yes, I, I, I am very optimistic. And I am very optimistic about young people. And young people have a very a higher level of values than the past generations. The young people now, they are not only support uh, climate change measures, but they are supporting very basic rights, like rights for women, empowerment of, of women, fighting discrimination, fighting uh, racism. Uh, so if your values, if your set of values are higher in comparison to the past generation, that means that your expectations are going to be higher too. And if your expectations are higher, then the results are going to be higher. It's like any individual. It's like any individual behaves. So that's why I'm very optimistic. The only thing that we need to do is to convince some of that generation of young people to get into politics. Because it's the only way to change things is to get the power. And to identify young people, brilliant people, training them, getting into politics, putting them, place them in leadership positions, and start changing not only Peru, but Latin America. Well, we wish you all the best, and thank you for coming by and talking with us. Thank you very much. A pleasure. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Karin Zissis. This podcast was produced by Elizabeth Gonzalez. The music in this episode was performed at America Society in New York City. Find out about upcoming concerts at musicoftheamericas.org. We hope you like this podcast. If so, please write us a review and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And now you can find us on Spotify as well.